Marina Scorciani. I'm at Lottie's, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's, and I'm excited about today's show because it's going to rock. going to be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's going to be a hell of a ride. Hey, Shinehearts, welcome to episode 102 of Meet Us at Molly's. Tonight we are going to cover the episodes you just watched. So that's Chicago Med 419, Chicago Fire 719, and Chicago PD 619. As always, I'm Gina. I'm joined by Bryna. Hello, everybody. We're a little scatterbrained tonight as we record. It's okay. Just kind of bear with us. You know, there's a lot going on. Um, Those yeah. episodes Bryna's were intense. Stuff going- These episodes were really intense. Really, really intense. Plus, yeah, Bryna's got stuff going on on her end. I've got stuff going on on my end. We're very scatterbrained, but we're going to get through this episode together because these episodes were very intense. So. Yeah. Just buckle up. We got this. Okay. So, as always, we like to start with the news. That is exactly what we're going to do. We've got the episode descriptions for episode 20. Episodes 20. These are not airing next week because of the Billboard Music Awards. Boo. But they are airing the week after. So, if Wednesday's the 24th, that would make next Wednesday the 1st, which would make the Wednesday the after that the 8th. Yes? Yeah, the eighth. Did I math correctly? Holy shit. Yeah, you mathed okay. correctly. So we have episode descriptions for all three, and we're going to start with Med. So Chicago Med, season four, episode 20, entitled More Harm Than Good. Brenna, take it away. Yeah, so this one is Dr. Charles and Dr. Manning disagree on how to handle a patient who they discover is poisoning herself. Dr. Rhodes throws some serious accusations at Dr. Becker. Dr. Halstead has suspicions about Natalie's new boyfriend, and Dr. Choi tends to Bernie. So, same old, same old. Yeah, basically, same story, different episode. For real, though. Uh, Connor throwing serious accusations at Ava. I'm like, didn't we just go through this? Haven't we gone through this, like, every episode since the mid-season, essentially? (laughs) For real, though. For real. So, Chicago Fire, 720. This is called Try Like Hell. Severide and Bowden search to uncover whether arson was the cause of a fire at a hair salon. Mouch, Herman, Otis, and Kid make a startling discovery in tracking down the missing piercing nozzle from Engine 27. So we get to see Severide go all arson again. I love Severide going all arson. And I was, I mean, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but Derek was talking about in the podcast you did with Emily Longaretta from Us Weekly, that the final three episodes are kind of like one big story in some ways, and that they obviously they all relate. And so I obviously I'm assuming it starts with this and with this whole arson thing. So I'm really curious to see like what that looks like. I love it. Talk arson to me, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've definitely got a drink in me. It's been a long day. A long day. <laughs> Uh, No, I love it. Chicago PD 620. This is called Sacrifice. Bryna, go for it. A violent crew is hitting pharmaceutical delivery trucks and stealing drugs, but their motivation is more complicated than just money. The case tests Upton and Ruzik's relationship. 
So by test, do they really mean end? I I don't know. I feel like that's what we're all thinking, but obviously we don't know. Is it what we're all thinking or what we're all hoping? Mm, both. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So, yeah, we're kind of taking that turn towards the season finale. And when we discuss tonight's PD, you'll kind of understand, you know. Yeah. We definitely took that left turn tonight. Definitely took that left turn. But I also always love, though, how, like, PD descriptions never actually touch on, like, the broader strokes of story arcs. Because, like, this, you would be like, oh, what, huh? Like, where, like, where is all the mayoral race? And, like, where is the aftermath of what happened tonight? But, like, I'm sure that's going to happen. But, like, from this, you would have no idea. Right, but I mean, that's a fair question that we'll get to when we talk to PD. Like, what now with the mayoral race? What do we do? Yeah, so. Yeah, so we'll get there. Uh, TV Line has been dropping a lot of stuff. They have dropped the ever-so-famous scorecard that I absolutely hate but is so necessary. Um, It's the end-of-season scorecard they drop every year that's like, Number of fatalities, number of marriages, number of babies. And then there's like 20 something different slots that get filled in through all the shows as the season progresses. I know I know you hate it or hate it, but I would really love to be in the room as they're like putting that together. Like I would love to see the behind the scenes process of like putting that together. Yeah. Yeah. And I only hate it because it's nerve wracking. I don't like hate it, hate it. That's what I said. Hate hate it it. in quotes. Yeah. Hate it. My stress levels hate it. Yeah. Yeah. And because the list of fatalities, it always like doubles and triples every single year. They start with like 20 and you're like, oh, that's not too bad. And by the end of the seasons, it's like 60. I didn't want that. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I also remember the year that they all got stuck in the factory fire. Oh, my God. This past Two season finales ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the list of possible fatalities on the scorecard, like half of it was fire. I was like, this is not okay. Yeah, because literally pretty much everyone on fire was in the factory. So it was just like, yeah, no, do not want. Yeah, do not want. I did not sign up for this. I don't want that. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. No, thank you. But. All that said, they dropped an article this week about their May Sweeps preview and finale spoilers. So these are their previews of the upcoming finales for pretty much all the shows. And we got previews for Med and Fire. No love for PD, but that's okay. PD never gets love, but that's okay. I mean, it's not, but it's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it is okay. Whatever. What are you going to do? Okay. So Chicago Fire pre-finale. This is what they had. Severide gets involved in an arson investigation that starts to unravel into a much, much bigger, broader scope while bringing back memories of his dad, Benny. As for his feelings for Stella, he wants to get his own house in order before he commits to that and takes what Foster said to him at heart. But then this case comes along and threatens to derail all the progress he's been making. Elsewhere, because we're not done... Brett has mixed feelings about the return of her ex, Kyle, who broke her heart. Derek says that Casey goes to bat for her with the chaplain. Ayo. Ayo. I'm ready. I'm ready. And that's pre-finale. That's not even the part about the season, like the specific thing about like the season finale. That's like all like right. kind of pre-finale stuff. Um, I mean, I'm worried for Kelly, obviously, because... 
I'm just worried. Kelly on his own, like, is why we cannot have nice things. Kelly needs supervision at all times. He really does. He's a kid like that. He really is. But, I mean, it's it's clear that he still loves Kelly. Or, not Kelly. He still loves Stella. I had one drink. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> Gina's going to be a little uncensored tonight. Sorry, y'all. Um, it's clear that he's, she, he still has feelings for Stella. Yeah, for sure. But should we read the part about the actual, like, season finale since that was technically, like, pre-finale? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, so this is a quote from Derek. It's going to be a gut punch of an episode. It's as big as anything we've done this season, which is saying a lot because we've done some giant things this season. You guys can't see it right now, but Bryna is face palming. I'm so nervous. Full on face palming. I'm so nervous. The closer, I know, the closer features a harrowing call that involves the entire firehouse plus plenty of character turns. Back in quotes, a lot of our finales will be some giant personal thing that ends the season. A lot of our finales will be giant spectacles, and you're going to get both in this finale. Okay, but this is also not different from any other finale we've had. (laughs) It's not, but it doesn't mean it's any less nerve-wracking. I know, the fire finales are always stressful. I know, and last year's was two hours, and we were like, oh my god. At least it's not two hours this year. Yeah, but we're again, I point this out. We have all three back to back to back. Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm going to need like a whole bottle of wine that night. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Can you just like get on a plane and get here so we can just watch these together? And, I know. Like, cry on each other's shoulders. Ironic because like two weeks later, literally like two weeks to the day, and I will be. I know. I know. In your like and dallas visiting you it's just like god dang it i know (sighs) i'm not ready i'm not ready for all three finales back to back to back i'm not but speaking of all three finales should we read the med stuff we shall take it away so pre-finale will and fbi agent ingrid start a relationship while his ex natalie and her new beau may be in trouble there are elements of Philip that are a bit disturbing, executive producer Andrew Snyder teases. Connor finds himself relating a little more with his dad as a result of Cornelius's health issues, while questioning if his ex Ava is dishonest, or is it that Connor's seeing things that in her that don't exist because of his own background, E.P. Diane Frolov suggests. His mother had her mental problems, so is something wrong with Connor? What? Guys... now you guys can't see it but gina definitely just like stress ran her hands through her hair (laughs) it's just like (laughs) i just what what are we doing what are we doing (laughs) i don't know i i don't know we all know so connor has not been seeing things this whole time so now we're going to make it like Ava hasn't been a Lifetime movie killer the whole time? Right? I mean, this is also going, like, Robin a little bit, too. Like, remember, obviously, like, Robin was, you know, thought she was hearing things and, you know, ended up being, obviously, something very different. So, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. I Yeah, I don't either. And I really don't like the idea of Ava acting in these outlandish, horrible ways, and then blaming it on Connor, you know? For them to be like, oh, 
Ava created this mess where Robin got kidnapped. Ava did this. Ava, Ava did that. Oh, but she's not the bad one. It's just that Connor's mom had mental problems. No! I know. I... Gosh, I can't wait to get Jeff and Steve back on here to, like, really talk this season out. I have questions. Oh, my goodness. I feel like we need group therapy thanks to the season of Med. <laughs> yeah. It's been a doozy for sure. Oh, my God, yes. Will you take us to the finale? Yeah. So the finale, the big conflict between Ava and Connor takes place at the same time Philip's baby is getting his operation for a lot of previews. Meanwhile, April and Ethan's storyline reaches a crescendo, Schneider shares, adding that the pair start to come back together, although there are continuing complications because of Emily and Bernie. Viewers can also expect movement on the Manstead front, although the EPs aren't spilling in which direction. Finally, consider yourself warned. Just about every story has a cliffhanger. Okay. So when I read this, I was expecting some closure on the Connor and Ava front because the news is already broken. I'm in the denial phase now. I wasn't the anger phase this weekend. I'm in the denial phase now. But yeah, I was expecting some sort of big resolution of them being like, this is how Connor and Ava's storyline is going to end. It sounds like they don't know how Connor and Ava's storyline is going to end. Which again, goes back to the whole, what came first? The, did they decide to leave? I mean, like, did they decide to leave? Are they writing them out on purpose? Like, I, I don't know. I don't think they decided to leave. But then, like, still, like, what? I don't know. I I will hold all judgment until I've seen this episode. Yeah, guys, this is the point we're at. We're just, yeah. (laughs) I will hold all judgment until I've seen this episode. I wish you guys could see us just, like, closing our eyes and shaking our heads right now. But that's exactly what we're doing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, And the Mansteads, I mean, you know, we'll see. They... I don't think they took a step in any direction this episode, but, you know, it was just kind of, yeah, hmm, you know, whatever. I guess we'll save it for when we discuss Mad, because there's lots of feelings there. Yeah. So elsewhere, Derek made an appearance on Emily Longaretta's podcast. Um, Emily Longaretta does the Lord's work when it comes to the One Chicago franchise. Mm-hmm. Um she has the Watch With Us podcast over at Us Weekly, and Derek was on this week as her guest. Brenna, you listened to it. I haven't had a chance yet. Will you take us through it? Yeah. So, I mean, he talked a little – he talked about a bunch of stuff. I mean, he talked about, you know, obviously, like, how far they write things in advance, you know, shooting in Chicago. They talked about a bunch of general things. So, Emily kind of took the best part of that and, like, put it in an article. So, I just kind of took the, what she said and – put it in our outline but it's really definitely worth mm-hmm. listening Derek's on there for I think like about 40 minutes so for a decent amount of time um and I mean it pretty much gets right in so it's not even just like her talking for 10 minutes and then Derek it's like literally Derek for 40 minutes um and he touched on a bunch of things so he talked about the finale and like I said earlier I mean he pretty much said you know those final three episodes are just one gigantic story it's gonna be fun I mean those are Derek's words obviously um, you know, he says, when I told my wife, when I finished writing the finale, he said, like, I can't wait to see them shoot this. Apparently, typical episode shoot over eight days. The finale took ten. So, like, they really took their time. I mean, like, they, 
they really shot it well and they have a, i guess a bunch of big stuff going on because it took them 10 days versus a normal episode taking eight so but like the crossover shut down an entire major city block and set a giant building on fire how could they possibly top that i, I don't know but apparently this took 10 days to shoot and was a bigger deal so what other chicago landmarks could you possibly set on fire i don't know the bean (laughs) (laughs) oh the poor bean but it's like what's it made of steel metal yeah i don't know i shouldn't be i should not be like guessing right now go on (laughs) so then he was talking a little bit about Taylor Kinney and Miranda Raimayo and they're just natural chemistry and he said you know that's how they are in real life they're hilarious together in a way that they're not with other people you know they just have this magic and he's like I don't go I'm talking about Stellaroid specifically he's like I don't think their arc is done the crux in which that storyline hinges around has to do with Benny and we're not done with Benny but yet Benny's dead so in some way we are done with Benny (laughs) I guess just spiritually we're not done with Benny there's just, there must be something in Severide's history with Benny that's keeping him from letting Stella in completely. Or it's, it, there's something, there's got to be something in there that's making him push yeah. her away. It's just ironic that, like, we're done with Benny, literally, because he can't come back from the dead. I mean, no, he can't come back from the dead. This is Chicago. We're not, <laughs> this is not a, like, walk with some other kind of franchise. Um, literally the worst season to be a dad in one Chicago. The worst but, oh, yeah, now we have got Cornelius, too. Yeah, literally. Cornelius took part in the fun this week, too. Literally the worst season. Um, mm-hmm. And then these were kind of two things that were making their way around Twitter, at least today, about Brett and Casey. And he said, I think this season, I think as the season progressed, you see the two of them and they have a natural chemistry on top of the fact that they're in the same mold character-wise. Um, you know, and then he said something. He said, overall, they're really good solid people captain marvel meets captain america which is just kind of funny um but i know a lot of people were like what the fuck um and then he said you know obviously he's aware that if they do get together not everyone will like it and to him that's okay he said you know real life throws you curve throws curveballs at you real life never goes exactly how you think it's going to people were like they were so in love this doesn't make sense i've known many people who were so in love and their relationship ended and it didn't make sense to anyone then you pick up the pieces and you either move on or you try to fix it yeah okay so the captain marvel meets captain america thing when i read that i was like hell yeah like strong female character strong male character awesome i know nothing about the marvel universe So the rest of One Chicago Twitter was like, that is bullshit. That is stupid. Don't ever say that again. That's awful. Bryna, please educate me and tell me why this is an inaccurate analogy. Well, see, okay. I don't think it's an... I think what people had an issue with was that, like... I think people just still had more of an issue of them... Because, like, Captain Marvel and Captain America are, like, obviously, especially right now, like, two iconic parts of the Avengers and, like, trying to get everyone back in Endgame that comes out in when you're listening to this tomorrow. Um, but I think what people had an issue with, they were like, oh, like, you know, I was seeing people being like, well, they're not superheroes. Like, the only person who's a superhero is Gabby Dawson and blah, 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 you know, like, all that kind of stuff. I don't actually have an issue with this from, like, a Marvel standpoint. Like, I really don't. Because um, I kind of, like, you was like, yeah, like, you know, like, 
badass woman you know badass guy like i like i don't know like i didn't really have an issue with this from like a marvel standpoint i think and i don't think anyone really did and if someone does i'd love to talk to them about it i think people just had an issue with it because they're just still salty about gabby like i don't know like i don't really know what else to say you know like i think i mean we saw it a little bit with naomi but i think as much as I wish Naomi had stuck around, like, you know, people kind of saw that, like, Naomi wasn't really sticking around, so it wasn't as big of an issue. But now that Brett is a integral main character to the show, and there's a chance that they're going to hook up or do something or whatever, clearly by tonight, which we'll talk about, um, I don't know, I think people just have an issue with that part of it. And they just want to pick and choose and be like, well, no, Gabby's the only superhero who could possibly be. Like, I just think people want to pick apart everything. I'm going to save it for the fire portion. But yeah, we'll save the Brett and Casey real stuff for the... But I do like what Derek said about, um, you know, the fact that, you know, people in just real life can be really in love. And when they break up, like, you're like, well, what's wrong? Like, you guys were so in love. Like, what happened? And, like, that doesn't mean that, you know, things... That they don't love each other just because people get divorced or break up or whatever. And I just thought that Mm -hmm. analogy, like, made a lot of sense with the whole Gabby and Matt situation. Like, yeah, it sucks. And yeah, they were in love. But, like they can still be in love and still love each other and like them not it doesn't make sense for them to like live life together right so right so lastly we had tracy spridakos on the aol build series on tuesday um as of the time we're recording this it's kind of hot off the press so i don't think either of us has had the chance to see it yet have you brenna Nope, it happened like five hours ago, and I have not had a chance to watch it yet. <laughs> it's Tuesday honest. when we're recording, so we haven't been able to see it yet. But once we do, we'll dish on all of it for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's all we've got on the news. Anything else that you saw, Bryna? No, I think let's just hop right into med because these episodes were yeah. intense. Intense. So as always, listeners, you guys know the deal. If you see news, please send it to us. You know, it's two of us against a big old internet and we don't always see things. So the news that dropped last week came to us via our listeners. So that was, I mean, not great, but like great that you got it to us. You know what I'm trying to say. But yeah, send us news, DM, email, carrier pigeon, Hedwig the owl. That's a Harry Potter reference, Bryna. Um, However you would like. It doesn't matter. Okay. Let's jump into Med. All right. So this was 419. Quite possibly Med's most intense episode ever. What do you think? I definitely think it was. If not, definitely like top three. I can't think of the others right now, but it's, if if there's another intense episode, this has to still be top three. This was like a grip the edge of your seat, lean forward, like super nervous the entire time episode. Right. And I think it was like kind of obvious I say obvious in quotes like obviously like what was gonna happen but I still was like you said like I was on the edge of my seat like I was like oh my god like one thing would happen and I was like oh my god like I was like what is happening yeah it was pretty crazy um so I mean the main gist of it is you know Natalie's patient is a teenage mother she's about to give birth and the father of the baby basically comes in she tells him to go away Essentially, he goes away. He comes back with a gun. And I mean, he comes back with a gun. He shoots the girl's father and Connor, Natalie, Will, April and Ethan are all still in the ED with him. 
And then Goodwin kind of gets roped in as well. And while all of this is going on, Connor's father is a patient. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just like a perfect storm of really bad stuff. Is this the... Okay. Do you remember? Because I know we've talked about it on the podcast. So it definitely has happened while we've done the podcast. So either in season three or four. Was that other gun, like hostage situation in the ED, was that this season or last season? There was another gun hostage situation in the... Oh, the one with Ethan and the cyanide? But that, wasn't there someone with a gun, like, getting shot in the ED this season? Um, I don't recall anyone with a gun. I recall the guy with the cyanide and Ethan and the hazmat situation. I recall a situation in season one where they thought there was a shooting at a movie theater, but it was a guy with, like, a lawn blower leaf thing or something. I'm get, I meant to I meant to look this up before we started recording. I'm going to, while we're talking about this, I'm going to look, because I swear it was this season there was something with a gun, but I need to go back okay. and look through. But let's keep talking. Yeah, you go ahead and Google that. I'll talk. <laughs> so the episode starts really innocent enough, right? Like, so, you know, Robin, Cece, Dr. Charles Goodwin, they're all kind of socializing. Um, Natalie and Will are talking innocently enough. Something I love that they're doing, even while Natalie and Will are broken up, this is so small, but I like it a lot, is that they're still showing how well Will knows her. And this goes back to even the helicopter episode when the helicopter crashed and Will was like, well, let me reset your arm. And she's like, no, no, this is the arm. And then Will finished the sentence and was like, that's the arm you broke in high school when that bitch Lisa ran into you with her bike, whatever. And in this episode, you kind of see it because Will's like, so how was the wine thing or whatever you did? And that's like, oh, I got drunk off a flight of Pinot. And he's like, you don't like Pinot. It was just, it's its so small, but I love that they keep doing that just to show how well Will knows her and how well Will knows how she ticks. Yeah, I thought it's that cute. was, it was awkward, but it was really cute. And I definitely, I, I agree. I think it's nice that they're showing that like, because I think sometimes we, they were fighting so much and we were like, what the hell is going on with me instead? But like, you miss obviously how close they were in a lot of their good moments because that's not television. And so it is nice to see, like, in these kind of smaller moments that, like, are, like I said, awkward, but, like, we really get to see, like, how well they actually know each other and, like, how much, I mean, in some ways they were in love. Um, so I do like that. Yeah, it's just, it's so tiny, but it's also really cute. So yeah. I like that they keep working that in. That's really nice. Um you know, Robin and Dr. Charles and Cece and everybody when they're socializing. Robin mentioned something about a turmeric latte. And I'm like, that sounds disgusting. It really does, though. Isn't turmeric like a a spice like used in? Yeah, I'm Googling it. Hold on. It's like an intense spice that I wouldn't affiliate with coffee. Um, Brent is Googling. It's a flowering plant of the ginger family. Um, many scientifically proven health benefits, such as the potential to prevent heart disease, Alzheimer's, and cancer. I mean, I like ginger, but that sounds disgusting in a latte. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Tiny little thing that I was like, excuse me? Anyway, so Natalie's patient, as we said, pregnant teenager, the baby's dad returns with a gun. Goodwin kind of tries to help him at first, um, and it doesn't quite work. So when he comes back, he comes back with a gun. And it 
turns violent really quickly. Like it goes from innocent enough to really downright scary in a second. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. So basically, I mean, he shows up with the gun. Natalie's like, whoa, put that down. He shoots the, the Lily, I think is the girl's name. He shoots Lily's father and then turns and shoots a security guard in like a smooth action. It's just nothing. Like it's no big deal. He's just like, boom, and then turns and is like, boom, boom. Crazy. And then he also takes the baby's adoptive mother hostage. It's all in one move. It's It goes from you know, normal to terrifying very quickly. Well, it's also, I mean, I use the word, I use the word impressive for lack of a better word. And I don't really know what else to say, but like it's impressive for someone who, I mean, is just a kid and, you know, theoretically has no training of any kind. Like the fact that he does it Mm -hmm. so smoothly, it's like, are we sure? I guess he watched one too many action movies, but like it's impressive. Yeah, it's impressive. It's, like, terrifying and impressive. But, yeah, for sure. I mean, with that said, though, this kid who plays David, David, David's the baby's father, this entire episode, this kid is incredible, though, from an acting standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I mean, crushes it. Just absolutely crushes it. Um, And I went and Googled. uh, David is played by Dalton Harrod. I hope I said that last name right. I probably didn't. But shout out to Dalton because, I mean, this kid who plays him is incredible. It's just... Wow. Yeah. Uh, this David is just in a dark, dark place because all he wants is just to get Lily and the baby out of the hospital. And I mean, he goes to extremes because he knows now that she's going to give the baby up for adoption. And so, I mean, it gets it's very intense, very, very intense. And it's interesting how they write David, because, I mean, he's a minor character, right? He's only supposed to be around for one episode. But it's very clear from the get-go, David doesn't want to hurt anybody yeah. at all. But at the same time, has really violent tendency- tendencies. Yeah. And it's, like, kind of in a weird way, because like you said, he doesn't want to hurt anyone. And so in those moments, he's very vulnerable. And in his relationship with Goodwin, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, but, like, his relationship with Goodwin, like, you get to, in some ways, like, really connect with him. But like you said, he's only a minor character, so he's only going to be around for that one episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they did a really good job with David, just kind of getting to know some of his quirks right off the bat. But, you know, in certain situations, like April had that really sick little boy and, you know, there were situations where he was just like, go ahead, go take care of the kid. Um, And even Connor was like, I need to help Lily's father. And he was like, go ahead. So he didn't want to hurt anybody, but he also had incredibly violent tendencies. And so, it was interesting to see both sides of it and how, you know, he would show his soft side with Goodwin, but then turn on a dime if SWAT provoked him. Right. Like, it was like he doesn't want to hurt anybody as long as he's getting what he wants. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, you know, he, he does eventually let the girl's father go because Connor's just like, he needs surgery. He has to go or he's going to die. And, you know, he lets the girl's father go. That's like his first kind of instance of letting a hostage go. But what the fuck is SWAT doing? SWAT like stormed the door at some point. It was so weird. What are they doing? I don't know. They like think their way is the best way when, of course, like they don't know what's going on inside and that like they probably almost had the situation under control inside. But like. SWAT doesn't know that. That's such a mad thing to do, too. It's like, we've got everything under control. We're on the way to a good result. And then somebody does something really dumb to just derail it all. 
And Philly is such a med thing, too. It's such a med thing. Such a med thing. It's such a med thing. But at the same time, I feel so bad for this girl. Poor little Lily. I mean, this is like the most traumatic way to give birth ever, right? Right. And especially for like, I mean, assuming because you're going to give the baby up for adoption. So like, in a lot of ways, you're going to want to try to put that baby out of your head. But you're going through it in such a traumatic way that it's going to be so hard for you to ever put that out of your mind completely. Right, and she even says at one point, she's like, all I wanted was to be put to sleep and wake up with the baby gone. Right, yeah. And now that's like the exact opposite of what's going to happen. It's crazy. And so, I mean, I'm thinking back to Grey's Anatomy here, because Meredith Grey has had two very, very traumatic births, if we think back to that. I mean, you know, I think when she had Bailey, like, there was a blackout in the hospital. And oh, then yeah, somebody season nine finale. She, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she, like, almost bled out. Mm -hmm. And then with Ellis, like, that was another traumatic birth. Poor little Lily makes Meredith Grey's births look like cakewalks. But actually, though. I feel so bad for this girl. It's so traumatic. And then she has to see her dad get shot, and then she also has to give birth on top of that. So bad. So bad. And then at one point, the baby shifts sideways, and her uterus ruptures. I did not even know that that was a thing until this episode. No, me either. But I feel like I learned a lot of medical things that I didn't, would have never thought about until this episode. Thanks, Jeff. A lot of medical things that I don't think I ever wanted to know either. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Jeff. I didn't really want to know that my uterus could explode. But you do now. Hashtag overheard that one. Goodness. Yeah, so I Googled, it's a thing. I'm not going to go into detail, but it's a thing. I don't even know what came up when you Googled that. It explained it. It's basically when, like, the muscular wall tears or something and the baby gets pushed into your abdomen. Oh, dear God. I'm not terrified or anything. Oh, dear God. I know. I know. You can't. I'm just shaking my head, kind of terrified right now. And Natalie said it so casually. She's like, hmm. I think her uterus ruptured. And Connor's like, okay, cool. No big. Yeah. Oh, man. So, I mean, basically, Lily ends up giving birth. Everything's fine. Connor saves the day. This is another instance where his god complex comes in handy. Right. Handy, not Um, harm. No, not harm. And Goodwin kind of kind of takes charge here. It's good. We don't usually see Goodwin take charge. Yeah, she usually she, takes the lead and then go ahead. No, I was gonna say she never is like in the ED. She's just giving discipline. Well, giving discipline. I say that in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Giving discipline. Um, discipline for what happens in ED. But it, you know, if maybe if she was around the ED more, shit wouldn't go wrong. I'm just saying. Uh, hey, I'm with you. I'm <laughs> totally with you on that one. I'm just saying. I mean. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, basically when Goodwin goes to walk in earlier in the episode, because David makes some demands, they need blood and plasma and stuff. When Goodwin walks in, the SWAT team shows her, they're like, listen, this is the kill zone. If you walk David into this space, we have a clean shot. And she didn't want to do it at first, but then she ended up accepting that she kind of had to towards the end. Which was really, I mean, it was heartbreaking, but also it had to happen. And, like, you almost see the moment in her when it kind of, the switch flips and she's like, I have to walk him into this kill zone. Right. 
And, like, she takes the baby and just lures him into it. And you just, you see the wheels turning and how she kind of accepts, like, this has to happen. What I think is just another example of Goodwin always doing what's best for the hospital. Like, she know I mean, like, granted, I say best for the hospital like, in, like, general terms. But, like, she always does what's best for, like, the greater. And, like, yeah, she might have formed this connection with David. But, like, that wasn't what was good. She couldn't have focused on that for the greater good of everyone else. Right. Right. And so, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it has to happen. And Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of gruesome, too, because he gets shot and then he's like bleeding from his mouth and his eyes. Yeah. It's gruesome. It's yeah. It's a very, I'm kind of surprised they showed. I mean, I guess they can get away with showing that, but like, yeah, kind of surprising too. Yeah. And so, I mean, the whole episode is just really intense and heartbreaking and very like emotionally draining. Yeah. That whole storyline is pretty crazy. And so, you know, um, I think at one point, do we have Manstead in the outline anywhere? Can we just talk about them briefly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just talk about them. Yeah, so, I mean, Natalie's going to deliver the baby. Will, I guess, has the chance to escape at one point, but doesn't take it. He stays behind for Nat. It's pretty obvious. What I did like was the, the part when David basically was like, the baby can't die, and if the baby dies, I'm going to kill you. And Will says nothing. Like, David says this to Natalie. Will says nothing and just points at him. And you can just, like, fill in the dialogue in that scene. It's so great. It's just Will being like, oh, hell no. Fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. Not today, Satan. Not happening. Just, you know, it's almost like with Berzik when Ruzik does something and you're just reminded like, oh, he still loves her. It's the same thing with Manstead. Like, Will does stuff and you're just like, he still loves her. Yeah. So that was good. Um, Yeah. And so Natalie just kind of said thanks to Will at the end and then uh, Dr. Lee agently popped up. Um, I guess we're supposed to gather that they're together simply by Ingrid rubbing her hand on his arm. Well, and we just also, if we didn't know that already, but apparently they're in an official relationship because TV Line told us. I, I don't think I would have gotten that from this episode, but TV Line told us, so. Yeah. So, I don't know. Mm-mm, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so that's like the main storyline with the gun and everything. I mean, it's it's very gripping, very suspenseful. I I liked it, but I didn't like it. I liked it because, you know, great story. Didn't like it because of my stress levels. Right. But it was really good. No, it was it was very good. Yeah. So, uh, Brenda, take us through Connor and Cornelius because that's a whole other thing. Yeah. So, I mean, guys, again, we say this. We, I feel like we're just going to say this every episode from here on out. Colin mm-hmm. is such a good actor. Why are they doing this? For real. Why? It's... <sighs> I'm already stressed. I, I, this is just it. Like, especially because, like, I mean, granted, the first time I watched this was technically before the news broke, but then when I started rewatching it again, it's just like, <sighs> I know. Just seeing how he was with his father, I was just like, <sighs> Colin's so talented. How can they do this? For real, though. And I mean, it's just like, <laughs> There's just so much. St- I and I mean, we're not going to get into it. We don't. We don't need to get into rehashing our emergency episode. No, I know. And it seems like right when we're about to kind of 
get more into Connor and Cornelius and their relationship, right as we're about to delve into it, it's like everything's going to change and then Connor's going to leave and that's that. Yeah. It's just like, it's so... I don't know, and it just goes back to show that, like, we've never really still got answers on the Connor and Ava, or not the Connor and Ava, the Cornelius and Ava mm-hmm. stuff, and it's just like, I have questions. I, I have questions. I want answers. So many questions. <sighs> this is going to be like a Pat Halstead thing all over again. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> oh, I know. There's so much closure we're going to want, but never get. Don't even get me started. Um, I know. But yeah, basically, Cornelius is in the hospital, you know, talking to Goodwin and Gwen and, you know, about finance stuff. And he's complaining about some, you know, hospital not doing well, you know, like all that shit. Um, And then, oh gosh, it's been a little, I only got to rewatch part of it. He collapses, right? Sort of. He has chest pains and he sits down for a second and Connor's just like, oh, God, what's wrong? Yeah. Um, and so something's up with his heart is basically the gist. Right. That's what I knew it was the heart. I couldn't remember if he collapses or if he was just like brought himself down himself. But yeah. So then, of course, they take him to the ED and start trying to do workups and stuff. And that's where, you know, the gun happens. And so they're trapped there. But of course they things start to get worse with Cornelius and they end up figuring out that he's going to need like this major surgery. And of course, like that goes way beyond the hybrid ORs capabilities. It's like, Mm -hmm. of course the one time the hybrid OR would be useful when they can't actually leave the ED is like SMH. I can't even. Right. It's like the one time that happens they can't actually use it it needs like they need like a legit or but of course through all of this connor and ava are fighting because they're connor and ava hello can they not because that's their default (laughs) actually though it's why the description of episode 20 when it was like connor slinging accusations at dr becker it's like okay (laughs) tell me Mm -hmm. like tell me something i don't know like okay um and, of course, it ultimately ends with Ava doing the surgery to save Cornelia's life. But it's, like, there's no point to their bickering because she's literally the only person in – the only other person in the hospital that can do it. And it has to be Ava because Connor ends up getting pulled to help Lily in her situation because they need a surgeon there. So, like, it's got to be Ava. So, like, Connor, you just got to suck it up if you want your dad's life to be saved. And you're not that heartless. You might not like the guy, but you're not that heartless. Yeah, and it's if you watch that last scene between Connor and Ava, too, it's so weird because, I mean, Connor goes in, sees that his father's okay, asks the nurse who did the, the surgery. And when Ava comes in, all he says, he's like, so you did the surgery? And she laces into him. It wasn't accusatory or anything. It was just, like, for confirmation. And then she laces into him for no reason. God, these, I literally, like, on the one hand, I have 10 million issues with, Connor leaving and Ava to an extent not as much but like Connor especially leaving at the end of the season but like on the other like a small tiny part of me is gonna be like really glad when they're not bickering anymore and I don't have to see that every week which kind of loops into my next point was that you know Cornelius lived yes which essentially did nothing to move Connor's story forward but 
I still don't agree with writing him off. It's like you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, which is why, like, I'll be curious to see the aftermath of all of this um, and, like, how much of a role Cornelius plays in these last three episodes because I agree. It's, like, something that, like, if they had, Corn- like, if they had killed Cornelius off in this episode and, like, really made him go down the one Chicago father rabbit hole, um... I wouldn't have, I don't know if I would have agreed with it, but at least there would have been, like, potential. We could be like, okay, this is going to affect Connor. This is going to affect Ava. This is going to affect this whole situation. Like, it would have at least been some kind of step in a direction of, like, where they could potentially go. But, like, they didn't. So, like, what actually changed? Truthfully, I keep waiting for the tweet to come down for the writers to be like, oops, our bad. Colin staying. Just kidding. That was a mistake. I keep waiting for that to happen. Hasn't happened yet. I don't think you're going to get that, but. Yeah. Let me dream, Brenna. Just let me dream. But no, it's just, I, I'll be curious to see what episode 20, especially based off that description too, right? Like we have the description for episode 20 and nothing else seems to be that different either. So like, where are we going with this? I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. But just and I mean, this weekend, this past weekend, I definitely hit the anger phase of the whole thing with the news. And I was definitely angry texting Brian the whole time. Just like, how can they do this? These people are so talented. You know, I understand a character being out of things to do, but to write off three of them at the same time, like. Yeah. I still have feelings. Yeah, but I'm more in, for more in depth of us figuring out our feelings, go listen to our emergency episode if you haven't already. Yes, yes, go do that. I'm sorry. I'm just not over my feels. No, I know. I don't think we'll be over our feels throughout until, honestly, probably never. But, like, if you want a more in-depth, like, of us figuring out our feelings, go listen to the emergency episode. Yes. Absolutely. Elsewhere, we had some Ethan and April stuff, but it really wasn't much. It was just kind of, you know, Emily and the baby are still staying with April. Ethan seems to give zero fucks. Um, Don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. Um, But yeah, Ethan basically gets himself handcuffed to a desk because he really sucks at being sneaky. And then April saves the day. That's about it, right? Yeah, that's about it. Just, yeah. Typical. Um, Do we have any other notes from Med? No, I think that's it. Again, I mean, definitely one of Med's better episodes this season. I mean, it was a good episode. I wonder, I mean, because we're recording this early, we don't know who wrote it, but I wonder who wrote this. Yeah, it was excellent. It was very stressful, very intense, and it was excellent. Yeah. We might complain a lot, but we still thought this was a really good episode. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Moving on to fire. Brenna, will you take us through it? Yeah, there's so much to unpack. I'm, I'm, re- I'm, oh, so oh my God. Um, so I didn't really know what to, like, type, I guess the missing kid or the kid storyline. I don't know what to, the kid storyline. We'll just go with that. Um, kid isn't child, not kid isn't Stella. Yeah, yeah, child, missing child, kid, whatever. So basically, they're having, it's a barely bad storm outside, and, you know, they're all inside. They're having a lot of electrical issues in the firehouse. 
Um, but Truck and Squad and Ambo are all just hanging out. They weren't on this call. But then Herman and the rest of Engine 51 return from a call. And Mouch is talking to them out in the apparatus floor. And as Herman and Mouch walk away to go back towards the common room, we see the camera pan to the truck. And we see that there's a kid stowed away in one of the compartments. And so because they're having all of these electrical issues at the firehouse, Casey goes and starts checking the lights, you know, out in the apparatus floor and, you know, in different places. And he goes into the turnout closet just, you know, because, again, the facilities guys had asked him to. And he sees the kid just kind of sitting there by himself because the kid has moved from the truck to the turnout closet. And this kid just stays silent the whole time. I mean, he's clearly traumatized from something. I mean, he won't answer questions about where he came from or who he is, his name. He just doesn't talk. Like, at all. Ever. Until the very end of the episode. So you have the kid in the turnout closet that they're trying to get to talk or at least warm up to somebody. And then you've got this random guy whose car broke down outside and wants to come in to avoid the rain. And Otis is like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, come in. It's just... This is like the start of the road trip episode when they were like, oh, hey, random guy on the side of the road. Sure, we'll help you. This is the beginning of every horror movie ever. But actually, though. Ever. Um, But then I think the thing that was so interesting, so yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, come in. Like, just chill out, whatever. Make yourself at home. And then... He literally tells the guy about the kid. Like, the kid's in the turnout closet and blah, blah, blah. You know, all that stuff. And it's just like, isn't that, like, somewhat confidential? Like, shouldn't you not be going to blabbing about the missing kid in the turnout closet? But, like, okay. Sure. Yeah, I feel like they should have probably asked some more follow-up questions of this guy instead of being like, hello, fellow firefighter. Right. But also, how common is that that a firefighter is going to turn up at another firehouse just on a whim? Right. I I don't know. And But then, of course, it's, like, also to, like, if we didn't already get, as viewers, like, didn't already know that this guy was, like, something shady is up with him. Tuesday, of course, is continuously barking at him as if the ominous music in the background, like, wasn't enough for us to know that he's, like, bad news. And Tuesday is, like, the sweetest dog ever. Right. So the fact that, like, Tuesday would continuously bark at him, like, I mean, hello. Hello. Yeah. But no, Otis is like, please, come in, chill. But then, of course, as, you know, like, time goes by and the episode keeps going, Otis starts getting suspicious of the guy and, like, questioning everything he says because, like, there's little instances in the story that, like, don't match up. So, like, at one point he says, you know, he's a firefighter from Detroit driving through to Green Bay, which I don't really, I haven't looked at it in a map, honestly, but, like, does that geographically make sense? I guess it does, because you can't cross the lake, but still. What was it, Detroit to Green Bay? Yeah. Would you drive through Chicago to... Let's see here. From Detroit to Green Bay. Um, while you're looking that up. But then he's, like, at one point he says he's going from, like, Detroit to Minnesota and Otis is like I thought you said you were going to Green Bay and he's like yeah Detroit to Green Bay tonight and then Green Bay to Minnesota tomorrow and Otis is just yeah, like it's absolutely possible yeah because you would drive through there so there's two different ways that Google Maps is giving me one is all the way through Michigan and across one of the Great Lakes and the other is down across up through Chicago so gotcha. yeah but the one that goes down across and up through Chicago is about 11 hours okay 
So I guess it is possible. In my head, it doesn't seem to make sense, but I guess it is possible. Um, but yeah, so there's just little inconsistencies in the story, and Otis is like, hmm. Hmm. Uh, but then, of course, so basically, again, they're having all these electrical issues at the firehouse, and the electric, or the electric guys from the facilities team is like, we're going to have to get on the roof. So... They go on the roof, they're working on it, but of course it's pouring rain and storming outside, and of course that's not a good time to be working with electricity on the roof. And so one of the guys does something and ends up getting knocked off the roof. And of course, so it gets knocked off the roof. Brett, who has formed this tight, as tight of a bond as you can with the kid who doesn't talk, um, of course has to leave to go tend to the guy because hello she's a paramedic and otis does too i don't know why they need otis out on the apparatus floor like why can't otis just stay and watch the kid but they were like casey's like otis and like i don't know i don't know why otis is needed in that moment but apparently otis is needed in that moment for some reason (laughs) um but of course otis hesitates to leave the guy alone because he's so paranoid that the guy is not telling the truth and so Otis ends up catching him in an act when the guy, like, can't, you know, he's like, what, well, what do you do at the fire department? Like, are you in truck, squad, whatever? And he says he's on engine, and he, Otis asks him some specific engine question, and the guy doesn't know how to answer because, of course, he's not actually on engine. And so Otis is like, yo, no, you gotta leave. And what does the guy do? He literally knocks Otis over the head. It's like, can we stop hurting Otis? Please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> What's What was Joe's song? Get that gun away from my Otis. <laughs> Get that gun. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then ends up dragging Otis's body into a closet. Like, it's like, what the heck? Like, I can't even. I can't even. Oh, man. Can we just stop hurting Otis? But actually, though. And so. But actually, though, stop it. And so then the guy goes into the bunk room where the kid is, but of course the kid has disappeared and then no one can find him. And so once Casey comes back and realizes that the kid's gone, he asks the guy from the from Detroit to go let everyone else know that he the kid's missing. But of course Detroit doesn't do that because Detroit is looking for the kid himself. And so Herman, though, again, Herman doesn't know the kid's missing, but Herman starts to put two to two and get two and two together about who this kid may be after hearing about a double homicide in the news and bets that the kid was a witness to some part of that murder. And so Casey comes back and they all realize that Detroit's the bad guy and that the kid's still missing. So they go look for the kid. They realize Detroit's not probably who he is. You know, all these things. And of course, they eventually find Otis in the closet. Thank God. I'm glad that didn't turn into a, like a three hours later and then they find like Otis's body just passed out somewhere. Like I'm glad they found him relatively fast because that could have been bad. <laughs> also because protect Otis at all costs. But actually though, I think that needs to be a new hashtag. Protect Otis at all costs. <laughs> Maybe bubble wrap him. But actually though. Put him in the cage for safekeeping. <laughs> yeah. um and so otis confirms you know detroit was lying like you know 
we gotta find him. And, of course, Stella eventually finds the boy. He's, like, hiding out in the corner in the laundry room, I think, somewhere over there. But then, Mm -hmm. of course, has a gun pulled on her by Detroit dude, and it's just like, really? Can we stop pulling guns on people this week in one Chicago world? Please? Too many guns. Too many guns. I mean, too many guns in just life in general, but too many guns, especially in Chicago this week. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so all of 51 ends up cornering the guy on the apparatus floor. And then literally the most Severide thing ever, Severide, like, goes around the corner and, like, ambushes the guy by tackling him into Ambo, which is pulling back into the bay after they took the facilities guy to med. It's just, like... But Severide literally tackles the guy into the ambulance. And it's just like, what the hell? Okay, see, if you're going to be sneaky, Dr. Troy, that's how you do it. That is how you do it. Be like Severide. Go to Severide's ninja class. Yes, yes. Because Severide totally puts on a ninja class at the academy. I'm convinced. But, like, after this, I'm even more convinced, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) This was a different level of Severide. I, I, I don't even know. For real, though. For real. But, so, of course, they call PD in, you know, because they tackle the guy, so they call PD in. And Rusik shows up and basically fills, Rusik basically fills in the whole blanks. And so, basically, what happened is the kid witnessed the shooting of his neighbor, and Detroit followed him to the firehouse to shut him up. Although, I'm pretty sure he probably wanted to kill the kid, but Detroit just says he followed him to shut him up. So... I died when he like he looks at the kid and he's like, word on the street is you're one brave son of a bitch. I laughed so hard and I was just like, Patty, like, I love it. Yeah, I love it. I really do. That's, if it was scripted, that's hilarious. But if it was not scripted, that's definitely sounds like Patty. Oh, it's so sound. It so sounds like Patty. And I just think it's funny, too, because even if it was scripted, it's like, I know Derek was talking about in the podcast that like he wanted like he wanted Ruzik for this episode, and it's just funny because obviously he wrote for Ruzik for two and a half seasons or however long it actually was in um, on PD, and so it's just kind of funny like he knows Ruzik's voice, and I just think it's just funny that that line came from Ruzik of all people. Absolutely, it's so perfect and so fitting and hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, that's like the main gist yeah, of the that main. Ended well, thankfully. Yeah, and that's just the end of the main stuff happening on fire. But there is some couple stuff going on, of course, because it's fire. Oh, oh, oh side note, totally unrelated. Side note. Yeah. Like, mildly amusing thing. I got such a kick out of the alarm failing every single time it did. Like, I actually thought, yeah, I meant to. I should have put that in that line, and I kind of forgot. I thought for as such a subtle, like that was like such a subtle comedy runner. Like, Mm -hmm. with the electricians and whatever and the failing alarm. But it was, like, so subtle and, like, different from the way they usually do comedy. But it was so funny. It was funny. I don't know why. I feel like we should work the failing alarm into our intros if we're having an off week or something. (laughs) So we can just go off and be like, "Eh." like, not happening. Have, like, alternate I got such a kick out of that. That's Yeah. Yeah. But I thought it was, like, an interesting way for them to handle the comedy runner. But I I thought it worked really well. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was way more amused than I should have been. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up because I, like I said, I forgot to put that in the outline, but I definitely thought that was a good way to do the outro or the comedy mm-hmm. runner. That's what I meant. Uh, but elsewhere, again, 
relationship stuff going on. I say kind of because of one of them, but we'll get there. Um, but let's talk about Stella Ride and the Foster situation. Gina, do you want to take us through that part real quick? Yeah, sure. So Otis makes an observation, you know, Severide's not coming into Molly's anymore. Severide comes up with an excuse, but he and Foster have a look. It's just a look. So basically when Kid asks Foster about it, um, you know, Foster's like, yeah, it's totally all in your head. Don't even worry about it. Emily eventually tells Stella exactly what she told Severide. Um, but basically kids mad so foster's like you know i basically said that you know you need to get your head straight before you go after stella again and stella's really pissed and she's just like i don't need you fighting my battles for me especially when it comes to kelly so i mean obviously we can tell kelly's sacred you know she loves him that's fine um so you know kid tells kelly she's like you know you don't have to avoid molly's on my behalf and that's when Kelly pipes up and he's like, just so you know, she wasn't trying to speak for you. She was trying to have your back, which was apparent for me from the get go. I mean, I never thought that she had questionable motives. She was just having her back. Yeah, no, I definitely I mean, I definitely I had a little bit of an issue with it being like coming from Foster. But like, I definitely yeah, I don't think it was ever her trying to be like, what the fuck? Like, you know, or any like I didn't. it was definitely never questionable. It was just. I thought it, I was kind of questioning why Foster, but. Um, I don't think I ever even had an issue with it coming from Foster. I, the whole thing that surprises me is that Severide took it to heart. I mean, I feel like Severide's the person, though, that, like, sometimes just needs to hear things. Like, he probably knew that deep down, but, like, he sometimes just needs to hear things and, like, be told straight. And so. That's true. The fact that someone told him straight is, he was like, okay. Maybe he knows himself well enough to know that, you know, he can't really trust his own judgment all the time so that, you know, if he's seeing it from somebody else's perspective, it's probably correct. Right. Yeah. But again, I mean, I know the Stellarite stuff is going to be a big part of these last three episodes, but it's yeah, I'll be curious to see where it actually goes. Stella also refers to Kelly as her blind spot, which like same girl, same. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <sighs> okay, but let's talk about what I think we really want to talk about, which is yes, please. this underlying Casey and Brett stuff. Like, I, the whole, all of these scenes, I was so giddy watching mm-hmm. it. I, I, I don't know. Like, I can't honestly remember the last time I was, like, that giddy about a one Chicago ship like and this has and i try not to get my hopes up about it in case it doesn't actually happen but like i feel like this this is like an epic derek trolling if it they set it up like this and nothing ever comes of it i'm so here for every minute of this i really am too okay let's just start so basically in the very first like opening scene brett and foster are talking about like stella and severide situation but then they're also talking about, like, they're just, like, kind of own situations. And they're talking about, like, dating within the department. And Brett, you know, like, Foster's like, I don't really see what's this big deal. And Brett's trying to, like, emphasize that, like, it's a no-no. Especially after being burned by the chaplain. And Brett's basically says, you know, like, my point is that it's a big world full of a whole bunch of other, you know, people who I don't have to bump into at work. 
And so then later on in the common room, Casey's like talking to Severide and asks him if he's interested in these like last minute plane deals that he was reading up on that like you basically buy a ticket and you don't know where you're going essentially until you almost get there. And Casey's like very into this idea and Severide's like nine about that. Like I only get two furloughs a month or two furloughs a year. Like I I ain't wasting it on that and not knowing where I'm going, which like, okay, we've come a long way since season three, Kelly. (laughs) Yeah. Season three, Kelly, who went to Vegas and got married on a whim. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, furlough. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding that I could have sworn furlough was like the equivalent of needing to take like a leave of absence, not something that was like planned into your schedule. Yeah, furlough is typically a bad word. Right, but the way Casey, because Casey talks about it later, he's like, Brett asks him later on, she's like, when's your next furlough? And he's like, oh, it's in June. And I was like, huh? Maybe furlough means something different in firefighter land. Maybe we need to look it up. But yeah, I just assumed furlough was like leave of absence kind of thing. And that you only, like you had it, of course, but like only if you ever, like you didn't take it just to take it. And it wasn't built into Mm -hmm. your schedule. So that part kind of confused me. But anyway, later on, as Casey and Brett are putting the kid to bed, Brett tells Casey that his idea doesn't really sound too crazy and that she's always wanted to do something like that. And, of course, Casey then leaves Brett and the kid in the bunk room. And as he leaves, he, like, turns back around and, like, gives her one more glance, like, looking at her, like, caring for the boy. And it's just like, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then the big scene happens when Bowden asks Casey to go pick Brett up from the 21st because she rode with the kid um you know to meet up with his family and so Casey goes picks her up in the 21st and she's like what are you doing here and Casey tells her and she's like oh man you got the sword and the stick and Casey just kind of like shugs it off but like you know he doesn't really think that and so Brett then asks him you know like when he's planning on going on his adventure and she's like yeah like you know I think it's a great idea like maybe we should get a group together and like Casey, this whole time, it, like, he had, he made heart eyes at Brett. It's just, like... He made heart eyes at Brett. It, it, it's, it's really fucking cute. Yeah. Like, this is so happening, and I'm so here for it. Same. I'm so ready. Give this to me. I'm so ready. <laughs> Again, I haven't been this giddy about something in a really long time. Especially when it comes to, like, when Chicago's. And, I mean, like, I've loved a lot of things about the when Chicago shows in a while. But, like, I'm talking about, like, a giddiness. Like, full-on giddy. Yeah, I'm I'm so ready for these two. Like, I'm so ready. And I understand that we're in the minority. Like, we are for sure in the minority. But we have heard from some of our listeners since the emergency episode of people who are like, Hey, like, is there room aboard the Casey and Brett ship for us? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It is nowhere near full, unfortunately, but we are definitely taking passengers on board. Oh, hell yes. Hell yes. But for those of you who are not aboard the Brett and Casey ship, it's cool. It's totally fine. Will you tell us why? We're not like questioning you being like, explain yourselves, but let's talk about this. Why are you not in favor of Brett and Casey? Right. Let's talk. I'd really love, to, yeah, I'd really love to know too. I think, especially, like, I'd love to know if it's just because you're loyal to Gabby Dawson, which is totally okay. 
But if you're just loyal to Gabby Dawson, or if it's just, like, you have, like, other reasons for not liking this pairing. Yeah. My whole take on the Gabby thing, though, is, like, okay, yes, Brett was her best friend, but Gabby left him. Gabby essentially decided that Puerto Rico was more important than her marriage. Well, and I think, too, it's really interesting because... There's a lot of shades of this whole, I'll say triangle just because, like, it's Casey and Brett and then, like, Gabby the, being the one that left. As there are, there's a lot mm. of shades of that that are similar to what happened on PD with, like, Jay and Upton and then, like, so or Aaron leaving, right? Because it was Jay and Aaron. Mm. Aaron leaves and chooses to leave Jay. And we obviously kind of fell in, like, the majority in that scenario right but we were like no we don't want upset like what the hell is this like we don't want him to fall for another partner blah 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 what is happening but then as it kind of became like more and more clear that like at least upton had feelings to, towards jay and obviously jay definitely has feelings towards upton too that like we were like mm-hmm. no like we really want this like we really want them together and it just took us as much as we still love lynn said and so lynn said will always be number one but it just took us more time to get on board with the idea of Upstead. But there were people obviously from the get-go that like didn't like Linstead and like really liked Upstead from the get-go. So I think there's a lot of just similar shades in those two scenarios. In this case, I mean, for me, you obviously really like Dossie. I like Dossie, but Dossie was never my favorite. So like, I, I don't know. I just definitely see a lot of shades, like similar shades. And like, I'm hoping like Upstead, I think a lot of people have come around Upstead. I'm hoping that like, if Casey and Brett ever become, like, a real thing, that, like, a lot of people will come around to them because I think there is a lot of potential there. But, again, I just, I've been thinking about it. And there's there's a lot of similarities between the two situations. My only worry now, and I hope that I word this correctly, but my only worry is that, you know, their interactions post-Gabby were basically what kind of sparked my interest. And I was like, oh, these two could be something good. I just hope that now that they're actually buying into it and they're starting to develop that, that that doesn't mess it up. Like, don't pour it on too thick. Don't, you know, basically, I'm I'm worried that it's going to look like them trying too hard now. You know, their initial interactions were what were what kind of piqued my interest at first when I was like, oh, these two. okay, I could I could work with this. So does that make any sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like. You. It's, I mean, I feel like it's like that with a lot of relationships, right? Like, their build-up so good, and then once they get together, it's like you don't want that to just go away because they're actually together. Right. It's like kind of stick with what worked in the first place, you know? Right. I mean, I'm hopeful because I feel like, yeah, a lot of people could argue that, like, I mean, I guess the endings of a lot of relationships on One Chicago World are, like, shitty, but, like, they do write good relationships, right? I mean, they gave us, as much as people are upset about it, like, they gave us Dossie. I mean, they've given us Linstead. They've given us a lot of epic love stories, and I think, you know, you do have to give them a chance, right? Like, because they do know how to write good love stories, so. Epic love stories that end in flames, but Okay, yes. but those are also different situations, right? Like, they ended in flames because the cast members left the show. That was not their choice. Touche. So. Yes, they ended in epic flames, but, like, they didn't know their cast members were leaving, so. I'm here for Casey and Brett, though. I'm here for it. Here for it, and I need more of it now. 
Well, and plus, if you go back to our interview that we did with Annie Alonzo when she first joined the cast, she even said that Kara and Jesse have like their own language. Like they have a chemistry between the two of them that's like its own thing. Well, if you've ever just seen videos of them like hanging out on set, like you see that, right? Like they like they like Carol plays the ukulele and Jesse, you know, like plays whatever he I forget what he plays. But like, you know, they just like violin. Yeah, violin. But like they just like hang out and jam out on set and like, yeah, they you can definitely see, like, they're good friends. You can see that from the way they interact. Yeah. So I'm, I'm here for it. Definitely. So. But, yeah, that's it for Fire. Yeah. Um, any other notes aside from, you know, maybe next time don't let the psycho killer in? No, nah, I think that's it. Uh, again, I mean, I know the last three episodes are setting up like one gigantic story. So I'm curious to see what, where this goes. Because again, we haven't seen promos. We're recording this before. So like we haven't seen promos. We don't know anything. Right. So lastly, we've got PD. And as I said in the emergency episode, this episode of PD is where the season takes a sharp left turn. Just everything is going as according to plan and just mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, is all I can say about this episode. I mean, this episode's crazy. Yeah. It, I, and like, I mean, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just saying, it, I mean, it's insane. And I, I mean, Marina was hyping it up and it definitely lived up to the hype. Oh, big time, big time. And then some. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it's crazy. Parts of it. I, I have some issues with some of the things Marina said about the Berzik stuff, but we'll get there. Okay, so basically, let's start off. So, I mean, obviously, we'll start off with the whole Blair thing, right? They made it pretty clear from the get-go. Hey, Blair's not making it out of this episode alive. Yeah, we knew that from the promo. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, we knew it from the promo. So, basically, Blair kind of ghosts Kim is the situation. Um, Kim's at a bar. Blair's not there. She's just kind of texting him like, hello, what's going on? Um, She put, like... Two $10 bills and then some down on the bar. How much is a glass of wine in Chicago? I know. I mean, she must have been sitting there for a long time and had like five glasses because that's insane. She's got a higher tolerance than me, man. After two, I'd be asleep. But actually, after one, I'd be like done. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um. So, yeah, I mean, Blair essentially ghosts her. So she calls Kev, which is like, this is like the power of being a cop, right? Instead of being like, my a-hole boyfriend ghosted me, like going home and moping. She's like, oh, no, hell no. She calls Kev and she's like, track his car. What are we doing? Um, And so, you know, she goes to his last known location and she finds him and he's been shot. And so, you know, that's like pretty much the whole teaser. And we come back and our girl is covered in blood. It's intense. Yeah, like covered in blood. And I love how Platt's the first one there on the scene to comfort her. Like, I love that so much. Yeah, it's perfect. And, you know, she's the one who, in the promo pictures, you know, you see there's like a patrol. There's like basically a coat that's been like draped around Burgess's shoulder. And I know in the promo photo dropped, I was like, please tell me that's Ruzix. Please tell me that's Ruzix. But it's not. It's just a coat that Platt like drapes around her. But it's perfect because Platt, you know, Platt's always going to be there for her. Yeah. It's just perfect. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the gist of it is that, you know, Blair was found in an area known for drug trafficking. At least 20,000 was found in his trunk. So basically the whole team is like, okay, well, he was a drug dealer then. And Kim's just like, no, absolutely not. Like, that makes no sense. Um, 
they find, you know, prior charges and stuff. He was popped for possession at 17, but he wasn't charged. So they're just kind of like, okay, well, this is all fitting together. The other thing I loved is that, you know, kind of shades of the old Berzix here. Because, like, she's covered in blood, whatever. Platt puts the coat around her. No big deal. Ruzik gets on the scene, and he's immediately just like, is Kim okay? Yeah. Is she, is she, is she okay? Just shades of the old Berzix. Just, I miss those days. I miss them very much. But yeah, he was popped for possession, so the whole team is starting to think this is a drug deal. But Kim knows that, like, in her heart, that's not the case. So, basically, this bar that he was found near, there's a security camera outside the back. It shows Blair leaving with this guy who's a reverend. But when they turn up to the reverend's church, it turns out that he's dead, too. So things are just going insane right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And the same gun that killed Blair killed the reverend. His, of course, it, of course it, of course it does. Or oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. So they go through Blair's apartment. Antonio finds this box that had Kim's name on it. And it's a really sweet necklace. Like, this was a really sweet moment, too. I thought that note was so sweet. She opens the box, and it's this necklace that he was going to give her. And it had a note that was just like, you know, I'm excited to see what the future holds. Because it was a locket. Like, oh. I know. It's so cute. I know. It's like, oh, I don't like Blair and Kim, but like, Still. Yeah, I know. And we'll talk about it when we get to the Berzik stuff. But yeah, I mean, just. Oh. Yeah. So they go to visit the Reverend's girlfriend, air quotes, girlfriend. She tells them that he was supposed to meet a silver Escalade that had a future Chicago sticker. Future Chicago sticker. Well, we roll up to the house that has this future Chicago sticker. It's freaking Price's house. I know. It's just like, of course, Foyt's rolling up to Price's house. Like, of course. What? Oh, my goodness. So Price apparently advised Dennis. Dennis is the reverend. Price advised Dennis to stop what he was doing, but he didn't listen because Dennis was involved in some stuff. And just in case you forgot, Blair's on Kelton's side. Blair is in Kelton's camp. Right. So Blair is team Kelton. So for Price to get involved, it's just like, oh, shit. And so Price basically turns them on to Nate Lewis, and Nate's like the local shot caller. He's pretty much the potential shooter. They find the gun in Nate's car, but Nate swears he knows nothing. So Burgess goes back to intelligence. She's like, guys, it cannot be drugs. Like, absolutely not. I just know that it's not drugs. But she shares that Blair had been looking into Jasmine Price, and that's where the team starts. Jasmine Price being Price's daughter. So this is where things get crazy. Brenda's face palming it's just, again. It's, it's just crazy. Like, And it's funny because like when I was re-watching it back – I must have just kind of like casually skipped over the scene where Price turns them on to Nate Lewis and he's like, oh, yeah, like this got to be your shooter. Like, I just like I casually like went over that. But well, I mean, we'll get there. But like it has so much more meaning now, like the second time around. I was just like, oh, my God. I know. I know. So it turns out Jasmine and Dennis had been seeing each other like a year ago. And they started sifting through police reports, social media histories, and everything. What they find out is that Anna Welk is, she basically died of a drug overdose years ago. She died of a cocaine overdose in Dennis and Jasmine's presence. So basically, Jasmine had been dealing drugs. Jasmine Price had been dealing. And so Jasmine called her dad that night. He went politician, made the whole thing go away. Blair finds out about this video, confronts Price about it. And when voice when Void is basically like, you need to fess up and tell me what happens, his wife admits to doing the whole thing. I did not see that coming. 
Yo, Price's wife killed Blair! I did not see that coming. Like, literally did not see that coming. Okay, I didn't see that coming, but the part I didn't see coming even more is when basically Voight plays the confession and turns the screen, and it's Price taking the fall. Oh, yeah, I definitely did not see that coming. I did not see any of this coming. I was like, what the fuck? I feel like I should have seen that coming, but when it happened, my mind was just blown. It's crazy, y'all. Oh, it's beyond crazy. So fucking crazy. I mean, Price's wife killed Blair. And Price took the fall. And Price took the fall. I remember when I told you, I was like, you have to watch PD first. Like, you're not going to believe it. And then you texted me and you were like, what the hell did I just watch? And I was like, I know. And like, and it hurt too. It wasn't something where I was like, "Oh, minor character going down, no big deal." I was like, "This really hurts." Do you think it's because we have gotten to know Price a little bit over the last, like, since essentially we've been doing this podcast since he was around a little bit in five, and then obviously really heavy in six? Like, do you think that's it? I don't know because I mean I've been saying from the get go that even though Price appears to be the bad guy, I don't trust him, or appears to be the good guy. I'm sorry, even though he appears to be the good guy, I don't trust him, but. I think it might have been something where, like, you know, they've done all this work to establish, hey, Price is the good guy, that you maybe start to finally feel safe to have faith that, yeah, maybe he is the good guy. Maybe we can have faith that this guy's not horrible for once. And then it turns out he is. Yeah. I, I d- but is he, though? Like, he's not. Is he horrible for taking the, the fall for his wife? No. I mean... I think it just goes to show, like, how much – I think Price does a little – some things, things that are really shady, but I, th- I think at the core of Price, there's always been love for, you know, his neighborhood, you know, the, his district, you know, the people he looks out for in his job as alderman, but also his family. And I think this just kind of really emphasizes that, that, like, you know, Price may do a lot of shady shit, and, yeah, we may not trust him, but, like, I think at the core of his – being like he's trying to do the right thing for everybody he's very similar to Voight in that respect yeah yeah I don't I think I honestly feel it a little more from Price but I think I don't know because I think even in the little bit of time we've been with Price Price has shown like a little softer than Voight. I mean, like, yeah, we've seen it on occasion with Voight, but, like, Voight, even when he's being soft, it's, like, still has a hard shell. True. So, it's a little harder to see it with Voight. Yeah, I mean, this felt like such a gut punch, and I'm still just like, well, I don't know why he was a minor character, but I think that last scene when, you know, Voight basically goes and hangs out with Price in his cell, and, you know, he hands him a flask and everything, and Price basically looks at him and is like, I was so close, Hank. And I think that's maybe, that might be what makes this hurt so much is that he was so close to taking Kelton down. Right, and I'd much rather Price for mayor than Kelton. And like, now the good guy's going down. I mean, here's the thing, though. I still have a little, like, boy just goes and, like, hangs out with Price in his cell and, like, hands him a flask. It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like... That's Boyd. I, 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 mean, I know, it's Boyd, but it's still, like, I just had a moment where I was like, what the fuck? Like, you try to sit there and think about it too much, and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Like. No, really. I mean, if this were Kelton, he would have shown up and been like, and go fuck yourself. 
It's just like, well, that's just like one of those things where like only Voight could actually go and like, you know, clear away the watchmen who are like, you know, guarding Price's cell and like go in there, bring a flask, like hang out and like not be like rushed out of there. It's just like only Voight. Only Voight. But like, what's the overarching theme here? Is that that nice guy's finished last in Chicago? I don't know yet. I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot of, like, the aftermath of this. And, like, because I think, too, the thing that we were talking about now that we can, like, talk about the theory that we couldn't actually talk about with the Holy Antonio thing is, like, okay, so there's three episodes left, right? Right. So, like, how does that all tie into when, like, does Antonio somehow play a role in this? Because, like, your theory was, like, you were just spitballing ideas, but you were, like, what if Antonio then you know, in order to get Price out of jail, like, takes the fall for it and, like, covers it up, which is a little... Well, no, not even that. Not even that. I was thinking that maybe they just set the mayor's race aside and they revisit the midseason. I mean, but, like... And so, basically... I don't think that... I don't feel like they can just set the mayor's race aside. Like, I just... I don't. But how does it end now that Price is out of the race? I don't know. I don't know. But, like... Which is the only alternative that I was thinking of and then I thought of it and then I was like, no, Gina, that's ridiculous. Is if Void is like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to run. But that would be ridiculous. Void would hate every minute of being a politician. I mean, Casey hated every minute of it. And Casey was just alderman. Like. True story. And Casey's Casey. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that's why, again, we haven't seen a promo. We literally don't know anything. I, I don't know. I. I don't know, but I feel like they can't just drop the mayor's race because, like, then what the fuck have we been building to all season long? But then Kelton pretty much wins by default now, right? Right, which is why I feel like there has to be something else, like something else. But I feel unless like... they find a way to get Price out of jail, right? Exactly. I don't know. It's. This situation's crazy, and this is exactly the opposite of what I expected. I didn't think they would derail the mayor's race like this. No, me either. I, left turn. Left turn. Total left turn. Yeah. It's crazy. I just, yeah. Oh my gosh. But elsewhere in this episode, I mean, we're totally hashtag blessed in this episode because, I mean, it's a big Burgess episode, right? And Marina always delivers. Burgess always slays because Burgess is a badass. But we get so much Burge water and so much Burzik. Just, we are not worthy. Not worthy. It's it's so good. And, I mean, I love, like, literally, I mean, in the very beginning, Kev shows up to her apartment and, like, offers her a ride to, to the airport to meet with Burlier's family. And she's like, I mean, she doesn't want to go at first. But, like, he shows up. He's like, okay, well, like, what do you need? And she's like, I need to go to work. And she, he's like, okay. BFFs. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, just also a small part. I mean, like, Blair's sister does end up coming to town. And I think it's interesting that, like, Kim finally tells his sister, like, that they're dating. And she's like, I think it could have been truly something truly amazing. But then Blair's sister just kind of, like, like, squeezes her arm a little bit and then, like, walks off. Like, doesn't say anything. I was like, okay. I thought that was a little weird. Yeah, that was. You know, the one thing that I really could have gone for in this episode, I mean, and maybe this would have seemed out of place just because Burgess is Burgess, but like, I wanted to see one scene where she just kind of gives into her feelings and it's just like, fuck, this is a lot. This is really sad what happened. And like, I just kind of wanted to see her cry on Kevin's shoulder 
just to like feel her feelings and then like move on, you know? Maybe that would have seemed out of place in this episode just because Burgess is Burgess. Yeah. I I don't, I, know. I don't know. I don't know. Just to show like, you know, their friendship, not necessarily to show like, oh, she's feeling her feelings just to be like Burgess and Atwater, BFF forever. Yeah. <sighs> but the Burzicks. We got some Burzick stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. I, let's talk about it. Yes, please. Okay. So, of course, Adam rolls up to the scene. The first thing out of his mouth, he's like, is, is Kim okay? Like, is she okay? So they partner up for maybe the first time in a long time. Had they ever... Uh, were they... I mean, like, in a long time, like... Did they ever really partner up, though, before this? There was that episode a couple of, like, maybe earlier in season six with, like, the weapons and the undercover by, and they were partnered up briefly. I can't okay, remember but, like, what the situation was, but they were briefly partnered up. Okay, well, definitely then, like, the first time really in, like, a long time. Right. Yeah. So she said something at one point. Oh, no, I know. Adam keeps, like, trying to look out for her through the whole episode. And finally, he's like, listen, I know you didn't know him for long, but I know you feel things deeply. That's how it was with us anyway. I'm just trying to tell you if you need someone to lean on, I got your back. And she gives him a side eye, but, like, no comeback. That's necessary. Well, and also just, like, no comeback. Like, I thought it was interesting that, like, you know, literally she doesn't say a word. She just gives him that glance, like you're talking about. And then she, like, sees the security camera footage or, like, on the other building, she's like, I wonder if we can get the footage from that. And it's just like, really? Like, I was kind of, you know, like, he, like, brings up your relationship, and it's just like, no comeback? Okay. I mean, I don't think she needed one. It was just him trying to be a friend. No, but, like, I, you know, like, in that moment, like, she just seemed to be taking everything, you know, obviously she's going, she's grieving. Like, you know, she's taking everything kind of, you know, she's being sharp with a lot of people. And so I just figured... Not comeback as in, like, harsh comeback, but just, like, no, you're not going to say anything to that. Like, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then so later on in the locker room, Adam tries to check on her again because, like, this is old school Burzik and I'm here for every minute of it. Um, Burgess is like, I'm not a damn China doll, Adam. Like, you don't have to keep checking on me. And all Adam does is just say he looks at her and he's like, just talk to me. Like, just talk to me. That's it. Just, That's all he says. It's so perfect. But, like again in the locker room of all places guys in the locker room i know i know in which, which like anything that happens in the locker room between burzik it kind of feels like a slap in the face at this point yeah especially like the line that comes out after when she she basically is like you know he's like just talk to me and so she basically just says she's like i should have told him to stay i should have told him i was falling in love with him <sighs> all right fine pd just go all games of thrones games game of thrones on us and just like drive that stake through Adam's heart like whatever fine i love this scene but i hate that she was falling for him okay so you know how marina said it or build live or whatever that this was there was a burzik scene of significance that was like some kind of I don't think closure was the word she used, but, like, it might have been. I don't remember. I'm forgetting the exact word. But do you know what I'm talking about? Like, when she said there was, like, that burst. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I mean, is this it? Like, was it? Is this what she was talking about? I hope not. I mean, 
this was the episode she was talking about. So, like, I feel like this has to be. But, like. I don't know, man. Is it? If it is, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But this was not what I thought we were going to get when, if that's, if this is what she was talking about. Yeah, I don't consider that closure. It's just basically her saying I was in love with him and then Adam saying I'm sorry. But I don't know. I mean, the thing is, too, is like, I don't know if, I can't remember if the word she used is closure, but like she definitely talked about it being like a scene of significance. And this is the only significant scene, I guess, that they had. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I need to go back and rewatch that part of that interview to like compare now, but. I about died, though, when she was she basically told him that and she was like, you know, I was falling in love with him, whatever. And all Adam can say, he's like, I'm sorry, Kim. Like, I'm sorry. That's the softest I'm sorry I've ever heard. Like, my heart is breaking. When even him. even before that, too, when he's like, you know, she's like, the whole case doesn't make sense. Like, nobody leaves me, but it doesn't. And he's like, I believe you. And it's just like, oh, my God. Of course you believe her because you still love her and you always will. I know. It's crazy. Oh, man. I mean, it's not and crazy, there, but there's it that is end crazy. scene too after, after they find out that it was Price, and then like you know, Adam's just kind of there, and she's just like, "This feels the same." Like, you know, drugs, politics—it doesn't matter. Like, gone's gone. Yeah. It was just so much Berzik, and it was just so perfect and beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. But that's the end of PD. Yeah, I mean, do we have any other notes on that episode? I'm just, I'm so curious as to where they take the rest of the season now. Because yeah. Price is essentially out of the mayor's race unless they find a way to get him back in. Right. I I'm, I think I'm more curious to see, like, where this goes than any of the others. Like, I have, I have a lot of feelings about this. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, what an episode. But for real, though. Yeah. And, like, that hurt, too, to see Price take the fall. Like, that hurt. Yeah. And, again, just so unexpected. I mean, it. bravo. I don't know who wrote this PD episode, but, like, bravo. For real. For real. Anyway, I think that's about it for tonight. As always, Shyhards, you know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. It's me, this at Molly's, right across the board. Email us anytime about anything. It's me, this at Molly's at gmail.com. If you like the show, which we really hope that you do because you've made it to the end of this episode, um, please, please, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate that. It kind of helps increase the visibility of the show. Um, As far as the schedule for going forward, we haven't quite talked about it yet. I imagine we'll take next week off just because of the Billboard Music Awards and we're gearing up for our finale coverage. Um, But we'll keep you posted. Just keep an eye out on Twitter. Um, in the meantime, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV, Bryna. I am at Bryna K13. And in the meantime, everybody have a good weekend, and we will see you on the 8th. Bye.